is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, we look at the EU trade deal. No agreement has been reached despite uh, more meetings over the weekend. And we also look at the rain last week. Some people got up to 150 millimetres on the mid-north coast, but uh, large parts of the state missed out. It's been pretty average or below average for us after last year's deluge uh, and then sort of continued into January and then, yeah, this wasn't it really any meaningful rainfall from January until June, so we planted our crops dry. We'll hear more on that story shortly. Some people were getting some rain, some people were missing out, uh, and uh, many of those uh, grain grain crops suffering as a result right around the state still because of that uh, warmer weather too. We'll hear more about that uh, shortly on the program. You can always send us a text, 0467 922 684 is the number to text me here at the Country Hour. But first, let's look at trade. Trade talks between Australia and the European Union, well, they've failed once again. After five years of negotiation, Trade Minister Don Farrell has been holding the final round of the uh, uh, negotiations with his EU counterpart on the sidelines of the G7 Trade Ministers meeting in Osaka in Japan. Australia wants greater access to the lucrative but notoriously protectionist market, but the EU returned the uh, same offer that was rejected Earlier this year, the EU wants to impose new farming practices on Australian producers and ban Australia from using product names including Parmesan, Mozzarella, Feta and Prosecco. Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt explained the situation this morning on Radio National. We've made a number of concessions throughout the process and again we're willing to do that uh, in Osaka, obviously up to a point. We weren't, we're not ever going to be doing a deal where we sell out Australian producers or sell out the Australian national interest altogether, but we were willing to make some concessions and the EU was aware of that. Uh, but I'm not sure whether it was about the impending election cycle that's coming in the EU uh, or the political influence of their farmer lobbies, but we just weren't able to see the EU increase its offer for things like beef, sheep, dairy, sugar, enough for us to think that this deal was in Australia's national interest. It's a huge, huge market and, and, you know, a deal, you know, a good deal at least, would have had huge benefits for Australian farmers and exporters. Uh, are you personally disappointed? Yeah, I am disappointed that we weren't able to make it, reach a deal with the EU. As you say, David, it is a large, high-value market, uh, and that's exactly why Don went to Osaka looking to reach an agreement. Uh, he and I uh, had many discussions together about what would be an acceptable deal for Australian agriculture. He and I personally met with representatives of Australia's agricultural uh, groups on many occasions to nut out what would be an acceptable offer, and we were prepared to compromise. We didn't expect to get everything, uh, but... Uh, unfortunately, that hasn't happened. So I guess what we do from here is, you know, as I say in future, it may be that we can resume negotiations, but I think that will be some time away. But in the meantime... Uh, well, it's difficult to say. As I say, the, the EU uh, elections will be next year. I can't see them being in a position to resume negotiations before that. But the president of the National Farmers Federation, David Johinke, has told Thomas Ariti that he is still hopeful that an agreement can be reached. We're not going with the narrative that um, all hope has been lost in this round at the moment. We are understanding that there's still meetings being held, of which we've made it very clear of what our asks are around agriculture and noting that there hasn't been a lot of movement. But once again, we, we've been in constant contact with both 
Mr. Minister Farrell's staff um, and directly with himself, and we're supporting his current stance and how he's working with industry to try to get an outcome. You mentioned there, you've made it very clear what our asks are. Just in, in brief, what would you like to see happen as part of this deal? What we're not seeing so far is a commercially uh, attractive deal for agriculture to get our agricultural products into what is a very large marketplace for us and so a marketplace that we already have very strong um, trading ties with. So when we talk specifically, it is around getting better access for beef, getting better access for sugar and getting better access for our cotton. Um, and overall, there is obviously other concerns around, as mentioned at the start, how we trade with the EU and what some of the regulations and asks that they have upon mm. Australian agriculture. Let's say this is dead in the water and, and the negotiations have failed. How will that affect farmers around the country? Well, once again, we're, we're not running with that at the moment. We're definitely I, I know you're not running supportive. with that line, but I know you're not running with that line, but surely you've, you've sort of mapped what could happen here if the negotiations fail. Potentially, these are hypotheticals, sure, but how would that affect farmers around the country if they do fail? Well, um, what we're going to be asked is that the conversations are adjourned and we can, can still continue to have those conversations. And obviously, if we're not getting good access to these markets, um, we'd prefer a no deal than a deal. So if the talks are heading in the direction that they are, we would rather reset, recalibrate and uh, ensure that we can still continue to do the trade that we have got with the, the EU and the current conditions and also make sure that um, any other trade agreements that are on the on the horizon also are beneficial for agriculture. So for us, yes, it will be a missed opportunity um, if, we, if we can't secure a better deal. But once again, um, Australian agriculture has many markets. Um, we would like to be participating in the EU market, but we're not going to do it at any cost. When we look at why it's been so difficult to agree to a trade deal, I mean, one of the issues is naming rights, right? I mean, the EU is not budging on these naming rights. I mentioned a few of them in the introduction, Prosecco, Feta, Mozzarella, Parmesan. Why is that such a crucial issue? How much would losing those naming rights cost Australian farmers, David? Well, there's a few um, parts to unpack there. First of all, it is the descriptor. When you go to the supermarket and ask for feta, everybody knows what feta is, everyone understands what it is, and everyone understands its characteristics. So to replace that with an Australian-based name would take a huge undertaking for just both education in the Australian market, let alone then how we would introduce that to our other markets overseas. And secondly, in Australia, we are a very um, inclusive culture. We, we have these names because we've had generations of... Um, immigrants come to Australia and bring their their flavours, their tastes with them. And we feel that it would be a loss if we were to just give those those naming rights up, those, those um, descriptor names, without having some meaningful concessions back. So for us, we're not interested in, in changing those names. Um, obviously, uh, everything is needs to be negotiated and worked through, but we've got a sense that we, we are a part of those names as well. Our producers are a part of those names, and we have some wonderful product here that can only be described very similar to those um, traditional locations or those traditional ways of making these products. For us at the moment as a whole, um, we're team agriculture. We're looking to get the best deal we can for everybody, um, and we're not sure exactly where that lands at the moment. And once again, we still believe those conversations are still have a chance, but... Um, we still want to have negotiations to continue regardless of the outcome. President of the National Farmers Federation, David Johenke, speaking there to News Radio's Thomas Ariti. It's 13 past 12.
ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, the New South Wales government is rolling out 900 fee-free vacational training placements across the state to tackle the shortage of skilled water operators in New South Wales. Over the next five years, there's an expected deficit of 1,500 qualified water technicians, but this program's hoping to bridge the gap. The investment ensures that the trained staff manage our water and sewage systems during droughts and floods, avoiding taps running dry, toilets not flushing, and uh, water services being disrupted. Rose Jackson, Minister for Water, says this program also supports our regional workforce by delivering ongoing opportunities to train, upskill and secure quality employment. Look, one of the things that's really become clear to me as I sort of go around regional New South Wales in particular is just how much of a skills shortage there is when it comes to water operators. It is a major area um, of concern. It's really holding back a lot of our local water utilities from being able to deliver the kind of service that the community expects and that they want to deliver. So, you know, we're, we're expecting that over the next few years there'll be up to 1,500 vacancies for trained water utility operators and we really want to get ahead of that so we're offering some fee-free placements to try and encourage people to get into the sector. So 1500 what does a water what do these people do? Look I mean I think a lot of people don't realise the the wastewater treatment and the water treatment facilities that we've got right across regional New South Wales require quite a bit of expertise to run them. I mean people can understand you know whether you're drawing water from from rivers or from dams, you know, it needs to be treated, it needs to be fluoridated, you know, you know, we, we ensure that the water that's coming out of our taps is is clean and safe to drink. That requires a bit of effort. And and when you flush your toilet, that goes through a wastewater treatment plant that again processes that wastewater for sort of clean and safe environmental discharge. These things don't just happen. There are thousands of people behind the scenes working in these facilities. Um, that you know really do kind of keep the system running. They're they're unsung heroes in a way, but the the things that we take for granted, like flushing toilets and clean water out of taps, rely on them. Um, but it hasn't really been an area where there's been a lot of investment in the skills, and we're now seeing less and less people who do have the qualifications required for those jobs. So you know we're really leaning in to try and plug that gap. So this is like, uh, at TAFE, they study at TAFE and so now the fees have been waived, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Like, you know, like a lot of these kind of qualifications, you know, Cert 3 or Cert 4 diploma qualifications at TAFE is what we're talking about. And, you know, look, we, we want to encourage people to do those courses. We want to encourage them to get into the industry. So we're going to waive the fees for 900 places. Um, I think this is really particularly significant in regional New South Wales where, you know, in a lot of our towns, um, these are good jobs that people could get. Um, good, solid, stable jobs for the local water utility if they had, and being able to operate um, these facilities. You know, a lot of it's automated now, but they do require qualified staff um, to make sure they're running smoothly. And you know, we want people to get those skills, and we want them to work in the water industry. Are we just talking about young people, or is it people of all ages can do it? Look, I mean, you know, people can retrain. Come one, come all, really. You know, we desperately need people to work in the water industry. If you're interested in working with your hands, in providing really an essential service, clean drinking water or ensuring our sewage system works properly. Um, And, you know, as river levels run low, 
that makes treating that water, you know, for drinking more difficult. Um, as we see a lot of flooding, that makes wastewater processing really difficult. That can really make that challenging. There's, there's no doubt that these are challenging jobs, but I reckon that that's interesting. You know, people, they want to get into a public service that's really important. Yeah, it's not boring. No, that's right. They love it. Like, I think we saw people sleeping in, you know, water treatment plants, you know, during the floods and during the droughts because... They know how important it is. You know, they know, geez, the town is relying on me to keep the taps on or, you know, to keep the wastewater treatment going. And we're talking thousands of dollars off the fees, aren't we? Like, it's, it's no small number. No, no. I mean, this is, this is a multi-million dollar commitment. Um, we've got to put our money where our mouth is. You know, we have to try and make these jobs attractive. But per person, they'd be saving thousands. Oh, absolutely, yes. You get a qualification for nothing and you'll walk straight into a job. Stuart Snitch has been uh, through the training program and now works in a water treatment plant in Port Macquarie. He says there's a huge demand for workers to manage this water. Yeah, I mean, at the moment they're calling out for more workers. Um, this training provides you know, really good, just an entry-level kind of deal. Uh, gives you a very good overview and you know the jobs are actually getting snapped up, so... They love it when people have this qualification. They'll take you pretty quickly. There's a lot of jobs there for it. Yeah, they reckon there's going to be a shortfall of about 1,500 in future years. And you got a job like you hadn't finished the course and already you got a job. Yeah, mate, did six months worth of it. And um, yeah, applied for the job. They said, yep, go for it as long as I keep doing the course. Um, And they gave me the job straight up. Right. And so what do you actually, what are you doing? You're monitoring water quality yeah, so I run, I run a wastewater treatment plants. Um, I basically, the long and short of it is I make sure that it's all good enough quality to go back to the environment. Yeah, just treat everything to a good enough degree that we can return it to the environment and not make any damaging effects. And is it because of, you know, th- th- these jobs are available, people didn't realise they were there or how important it is or, you know, how, how come we're going to have such a shortfall? Um, it's kind of just a, it's been a grey area for a long time, like not many people really knew that the job existed, um, so because of that, not a lot of people actually go into the field. Um, I got lucky and just kind of saw something that came up about it and jumped on it and sounded interesting, but yeah, like it just hasn't been in the public eye very much, like it's not really an area that people think about, you know, sewer treatment is not exactly something that people have much of an idea about and so with a bit more advertisement and everything i think there'll be more interest coming towards it i mean and also with you know we've seen a lot of flooding we've seen drought we've seen towns running out of water so you know being in the water space obviously it's it's uh uh it's out there in the news more but maybe because of global warming climate change you know those sort of things i think you know people are maybe realizing how important it is now to have water yeah especially here in australia um you know, going through several droughts and everything, we go into water restrictions quite regularly. Um, and what water restrictions do, what you don't think about is it affects all your, um, you know, your, uh, washing your clothes, watering your gardens, all that kind of stuff. And a large part of what we do is actually reuse the water. So we actually have reuse programs that go out. Uh, so we take the water that we've treated and then we actually treat it to another higher degree and then we, um, we can reuse it. So as long as the program's in place and it's all tested and working well, which is part of my job, we can then reuse all that water and um, it just takes a massive load off our potable water supply and it just increases our capacity for storage. I mean, that's the thing. Droughts and floods that keep you on your toes. Oh, yeah. Makes it interesting, that's for sure. Stuart Snitch, who works uh, in uh, water treatment in Port Macquarie, it's uh, 21 minutes past 12. ABC Listen. 
podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, last week, some of the drought-affected parts of our region uh, throughout New South Wales uh, finally saw some rainfall. And for those lucky enough to get a good uh, drop, it was already providing some relief. Hunter dairy farmer David Williams got more than 30 millimetres in his rain gauge, and he told Lara Webster that that will take the pressure off feeding his livestock and also his irrigation. We've had um, 38 millimetres which has been absolutely perfect. It means that I can turn the irrigation off for a few days. They've been going nearly non-stop now for two months, so, uh, yeah, it's great to get a break that way. And um, it also means that we're going to catch up on a bit of grass growth as well. And anywhere we don't irrigate, is actually going to turn green. So, it's, um, yeah, it's perfect. What about, you're there at Basie, I mean, what about you, some of your neighbours? Has everyone around there managed to catch a little bit in the rain gauge? Yeah, around base, it's probably had the same, around about that 30 to 40 mark. Um, if you head north towards Dungog and Gloucester, they're probably up to the 60 to 70 mil mark. If you go up the Hunter, yeah, they're probably more around the 25 mil mark, which is probably not enough of them because it was really bad up there. We really need this rain because the price of things has just been going up and up. It's, um, yeah, they talk about the cost of living, but the cost of farming is going the same way, you know. Like feed costs have gone up about fifty percent, electricity's gone up twenty percent, and fertiliser and that it's uh, yeah it's pretty hard going. So the rain is really good that way; it uh, helps cut back on the costs. Yeah, and ideally, of course, I imagine you always like a little bit of follow up. I mean, when would you like to see the next bit of rain come across? If if you had the ability to just order it, uh, in about ten days' time, that, that would be perfect. Yeah, just let this soak in, let things green up a bit. And then another 25 million in 10 days' time. But, yeah, doesn't always happen. you just got to take it as it comes. Basie dairy farmer David Williams, well, uh, some people were getting up to 150 millimetres on the mid-north coast and lesser falls around the north and northwest, while large parts of the state, however, missed out completely. Jeff Bennett grows crops west of Condoblin, where it's been a dry season, and he missed out this time as well. David Clawton spoke to him about the season as he was harvesting some barley. Oh, it's been pretty average or below average for us after last year's deluge uh, and then sort of continued into January and then yeah this wasn't really any meaningful rainfall from January until June so we planted our crops dry in in April and May and they didn't germinate until the first week in June when when we uh we got about 50-odd mils of rain, I think. But we've had less than 100 millimetres of rain uh, since the crop was planted. And what would be your average, do you reckon? Uh, in crop, oh, I'm not sure if there's such a thing as an average anymore after the last six years, yep. three, three fantastic years and three pretty ordinary years before that. Did you get any rain in the last couple of days? Uh, no, none, none at all, but uh, we've... We've just started harvest this week, so... Um, That's a good thing. Yes. What have you got in the ground? What are you harvesting? Uh, I'm harvesting some barley, and so it's um, it's not going really that well. We'd be below average. It's sort of it's somewhere between a half a tonne and 
if we were lucky, some yeah. of this might be going a ton to the hectare. But um, yeah, is that, is that well below average, Jeff? Yeah, it's well below average, sort of half half the average, I suppose. But yeah, yeah well below the last three years, obviously. That's Jeff Bennett, who's west of Condoblin, uh, and he's out uh, harvesting barley. Not uh, not going so great at the moment. Twenty five minutes past twelve. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Let's head to the north coast now where the local shows are about to head into their downhill run for the year. Stud beef cattle from as far as the Clarence and uh, Casino region, they were trucked up to the Alstonville Plateau for the town show and it was uh, another interbreed supreme exhibit win for the senior cow, Little Valley Natasha, the uh, Brayford that won in Kyogle and Casino as well. Kim Honan is speaking here to Doug Bennett from Little Valley Grazing about the extraordinary success over the last few months. Our cow's been um, very successful right through from Kyogle to Casino, Lismore and now here. Three supreme animals of the shows. Missed out in Lismore, but unfortunately she got the supreme um, senior female. Um, great cow, not because we bred her, but I think she's a she's a perfect female. So, and um, then today, it's just yeah, with the the rest of the stable mates coming out for having three in the interbreed was um, was a big a big big thing actually, and um, it's a great honour to be able to to do that. I reckon my mum and dad would be very proud of what's going on and how we've con- continued it on after 55 years. And did you get much rain over the last few days out at Strathedon? We got uh, 34 mil out of the... Um, got nothing in the first storm on Wednesday night. It was a dry storm that went through about 2 o'clock in the morning. Then on um, the one when it started on Thursday night, it um, we got uh, up until yesterday afternoon, we'd had 34 mil. Uh, Craig Hoskins, um, steward. Yeah, I think we were pretty lucky with the rain. Um, yesterday afternoon didn't look good and this morning wasn't good. But, yeah, it was 45 head. Uh, we lost a few numbers just because of, the, I think, the dry weather and um, also then the rain this morning has deterred a few people. So, yeah, 45 still good considering after Lismore, uh, the Lismore show. So, yeah. Is it always tough to follow the North Coast National? Oh, I think it is, um, just because you've got um, a three-day commitment for a lot of the uh, stud, the studs. Um, so it's a big ask for them to back up um, the next weekend um, to come to Alstonville. But yeah. But you had a, still had a good mix of different breeds here today. Yeah, we had some good support. We had some uh, the Bennetts uh, from Casino. That's the first time they've been here for a long time, so it was great to have them back um, at Alstonville. And uh, yeah, then then our usuals and uh, and the Santa's up from Grafton. So yeah, it's good that people have travelled for our little show. So Simon McQueen, I'm the ag teacher at Alstonville High School. We have 19 students with seven cattle here. We had a couple of extra steers which we sold at the Lismore show last week. And how did they go in Lismore? <laughs> We got a fourth place ribbon with one of our steers in the end on the hook. Ah, uh, hoof, sorry. We didn't get pick up any prizes on the hook, but we we had a good time. We had a really good crew there, and the kids have been really dedicated this year. It's been been great to see, actually. And yeah, did you get a good price? It could have been better, of course. You know, prices are down, but uh, a reasonable price for what they are at the sale yards at the moment. So we're pretty happy with it. And is it good having the North Coast National before your local show, or is not so good? <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I don't know, that's a tricky question. Um, it certainly gets a show ready, that's for sure. Um, but it, the, it's a big show, so it's very tiring. The, 
to do the week before our, our local show, but it certainly makes it much easier to do this one because we know what we're doing. We've got everything set up, ready to go, and the kids are that little bit more experienced. So, Matthew Bell from Oswald High School. I'm in year eight, and my experience today was pretty good. Uh, smaller than the North Coast National, but it's our local show, which is really good to see that there's a lot of people out here. We've got a great team. We've won two first place uh, and I think we also won two third places um, and also second place reserve champion for our main cow. Sounds like you had a great day then. Yeah, it was really fun here. Um, We work as a great team and it's really good just to see that we all work together. I'm Violet McClelland and I'm in year nine. How'd you go today? We went pretty well. We got a couple ribbons and got to learn a lot of things about... um, the way our cattle look and how they they do in the future. Well, you just had a, a bit of a chat with uh, Clint, the judge, giving some some tips. What what did you learn? Um, I learned how to locate the pin bones, which was a bit of a struggle for me, and uh, their hoofs and how they're supposed to look and how fat they're supposed to be in the belly. <laughs> and is it just the the limousine breed that you have at school? Um, we have limousine heifers and we also have red Angus. So we had. Some we have four four limousines and three red Angus, yeah. The Austinville show there, and uh, we're hearing there from uh, some of the uh, some of the students. Uh, in fact, uh, the last student we heard there was uh, to some well to some of the students from the cattle team. It was at the Austinville High School. It's uh, coming up to. 21 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour and uh, it's um, time to find out. But first of all, we're trying to get through to the Bureau. I hadn't done but a lot of luck getting through the Bureau, but uh, at least we've got Adam's story here to get are us they, some news head- headlines. Are they ignoring they can, you? <laughs> give us, you can give us a weather too. You should have printed that out. Uh, well, <laughs> last time I looked, which was Friday night before I knocked off, <laughs> this, uh, I think we're headed for a top. There's of, a few... Uh, it's a bit warm Total firebrands yeah. as well around the state too. So. Bit warm and windy. Warm and windy, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Bit of sunshine there, and a there you go. bit of cloud. <laughs> Doubling as well. Bit of this, bit of that. Okay. <laughs> Very comprehensive. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now the southern oscillator is <laughs> right. Okay, oh, now well, I really don't okay. know what I'm talking about. Here we about. go. Hello. Yeah. Look out. <laughs> uh, Qantas has uh, filed its defence in the federal court over uh, these uh, selling of uh, tickets for thousands of flights that had already been cancelled. Uh, Qantas's defence uh, is that uh, says in most cases passengers were booked on flights weeks or months. Uh, sorry, uh, it said that uh, they uh, rebooked these passengers on flights weeks or months in advance and gave them time to plan. So no case to answer, uh, Your Honour. <laughs> we'll see how that's just the written submission. Uh, this has all got to be uh, heard in the uh, federal court in full. Uh, over in Israel, uh, we saw the uh, an escalation of uh, a ground offensive uh, from Israel. Uh, They're continuing to strike uh, targets in Gaza. Uh, The aid agencies continue to warn of mounting humanitarian disasters on the ground for Palestinians. Uh, Many are sleeping in the open or seeking refuge in hospitals. There was a um, uh, very ugly situation uh, in Russia uh, at Dagestan. Um, Hundreds of people stormed the main airport there uh, to protest the arrival of a plane from Israel. Uh, authorities have since closed the airport and diverted flights from the capital of the uh, mainly Muslim region. Some in the crowd were heard shouting anti-Semitic, uh, 
Semitic slogans as they uh, moved through the terminal. Uh, we have a new uh, bushfire commissioner. Uh, Jeremy Futrell takes over the top job, put him at the head of uh, all firefighting in towns and cities across the state. He's worked for Fire and Rescue since uh, 1997. And, of course, uh, the... Uh, uh, no, it wasn't really a secret. Eddie Jones has resigned as uh, Wallabies coach. It was just a matter of time, really. Yeah. Uh, following Australia's worst ever... The worst kept well, secret in the history yeah, of... Following our worst rugby. ever World Cup campaign. Mm, yeah. yeah. I don't know whether he's still denying he's going to Japan or not. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I suppose that now leaves the way open. I don't think he made any comment about that, no. No. Someone will ask him eventually. Yeah. He's been in constant denial that he's been in talks with them. But, mm. um, yeah, we'll see. And... Uh, we have a new sports billionaire, apparently one of only uh, four. Magic Johnson has now been declared a billionaire by Forbes magazine. He now joins uh, fellow NBA players Michael Jordan, LeBron James and the golfer Tiger Woods. Right, yeah. yes, of course, so all the endorsements. Yeah. Yes, I don't yeah. think it's from actually playing the matches. So I don't no, think it's prize no, money. It's all the endor- uh, well, jo- Jordan was <laughs> yeah. definitely all... I mean, have you seen the movie about the, yeah, the oh, shoes? It's, just, you know, it's, yeah. it's all about yeah. the endorsement deal that they did and having his name on the shoes has made him... Well, almost mm. almost um, made him into... Uh, made him $100 million straight away, I think. Who would have thought, you know, on and, a pair of shoes, you know? And he was only... At the time, he was only someone said sort of beginning his career a, as we're well. going to put your name on a pair of bar yeah. scouts and they're gonna, it's going to make you a billionaire. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And they were, str- and, uh, and, uh, they were struggling. Nike was struggling yeah. at the time as well when they made the deal. So, yeah. yeah. So it worked out well for everyone I think so, case. yeah. 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 Sort of, it knocked sort of Reebok off the... Yeah, yeah. Off the charts, right. didn't it? That's right, yeah. it did too, yeah. And, um, you know, as we know from Kyrgios, he wears them all the time and mm. swears by them and whatever, mm. so they've got a real cult following. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Can't understand why myself. <laughs> oh, just, a, just a bloody <laughs> shoe. That's, that's right, that's right. Yeah. Keep interesting, dry. interesting yep. movie, though. Interesting yes, movie. very much yeah. so, yeah. Well done. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, okay, okay. well, thanks, thanks for that. Adam will be back at one o'clock. Talking endorsements again. You're listening to the country. <laughs> it's uh, let's find. I think we've got Gabriel Woodhouse at the bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. Yes, uh, I was trying to get through to you earlier, and I couldn't get through. So sorry, sorry for that. I didn't actually speak to you prior to coming on air. So uh, uh, we've got a few fire bans around the state uh, at the moment. Yeah, we do have a number of fire bans. So um, that's just due to some fairly warm and windy conditions um, ahead of this change that's going to be moving through. So that does mean that the fire danger, um, that that elevated fire danger does persist across the northern parts of the state tomorrow because we won't see that change move through until later in the day um, across parts of the the northern tablelands and the northwest there um, during tomorrow afternoon and evening. So with that, um, we are seeing some total fire bans in place and extreme fire danger, particularly for some of the forested areas today and tomorrow. But um, after that, we're seeing a, a, a drop in those fire dangers and we'll be seeing a few coastal showers develop. And uh, in terms of what we're looking at uh, from the end of the week and probably most likely through the weekend is um, some showers and storms developing across the eastern parts of, of New South Wales. And that does include um, parts of the central and northwest. So at the moment, it seems as though we can anticipate at least a few showers and a few millimetres of rainfall, but um, it's possible that we could see a little bit more in the way of some thunderstorms, uh, particularly uh, along parts of the the central west slopes and northwest slopes and plains areas, 
where we could see some uh, isolated falls of you know 20 millimetres or more. So um, a little bit of rainfall on the cards across the weekend, but unfortunately that rainfall doesn't extend uh, to the western parts of New South Wales. Right, OK. I was going to ask you about that and the grain-growing area. So, and even if there is a bit of rain, it's hit and miss, really. At the moment, it seems like it's going to be relatively hit and miss for areas west of the divide. Um, in saying that, though, it seems as though central and northern parts of, of the western slopes there is going to be more likely to see some of the, the showers and, and potential storms as well. Um, it seems as What about the, the fire grounds in the mid-north coast? Are they going to get another ra- round of rain? Look, it looks as though they'll be getting a, another round of rain and even uh, parts of the, the fire grounds over the northern tablelands where we're seeing um, some of the more active fires at the moment. The rainfall that we saw at the end of last week um, has uh, limited some of the uh, fire dangers, particularly across the mid-north coast where we have seen some of those significant fires. But uh, for the rainfall forecast at the end of the week and into next uh, week, essentially, um, it looks as though we'll be seeing more showers right along the coast and across the ranges. So in like Tenterfield, Armadale, maybe across but not really across to sort of Moree? So at the moment it seems as though right across to, to Moree um, and even towards maybe Ningen we could be seeing some, some showers and, and storms particularly on the weekend. Um, it is It does get a little bit more iffy the further west that you go. So Dubbo um, maybe might get a bit of rain? Yeah, so at the moment it seems as though Dubbo could be seeing a little bit of rainfall, but at the moment the, there is a little bit of variability about exactly where the trough's located and that's going to determine um, essentially where those showers are going to be falling from. So um, if the trough uh, shifts a little bit further west, it'll be a little bit more likely that we'll see those showers um, right across the western. Okay, so it could, it could move between now and then. Uh, what about later in the week? What can we see then? Yeah, so that system looks as though it's going to be hanging around from you know Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, and into the early parts of next week. It seems as though at the moment in some of the, the longer term computer guidance that we might have another front move through the middle part of next week, but um, that's very much staring into crystal ball territory. It's more likely that uh, from Friday and into the early parts of next week we'll be seeing those uh, showers and storms persist across uh, you know, the eastern half of New South Wales. Okay. All right. Well, uh, yes, indeed. Some of those fire grounds would uh, would uh, certainly like a, a bit more rain. So let's hope that uh, we see them. Uh, thanks for that, Gabrielle. My pleasure. It's twenty one minutes to one here on the Country Hour. Well, have you heard this sound before? Well, I certainly remember that from my times in Western Victoria. It's uh, the endangered mallee It's a native bird that's uh, seen its population decline considerably over the last 50 years, with uh, fewer than 3,000 remaining in the wild in New South Wales. But in West Wyalong, conservationists and farmers have been working together to save the species, collecting the bird's eggs and releasing the chicks into a 60-hectare feral-free zone. Hamish Cole spoke with the organiser of the project, Mal Carnegie, about how it all works. The Malifow project's been running for many years now, and um, in in recent years, in the last two and a half, three years now, we've had we've been able to incorporate an egg incubation process into our um, management of the Malifow, whereby a small number of eggs are able to be collected and incubated through to hatching and then those chicks have been able to be released into a 60 hectare feral proof enclosure out near uh, Rankin Springs. So um, it's been quite quite a successful um, 
element of the program in the last couple of years. And yeah, by by releasing them into this pest-free zone, what has that meant for the survival of these these hatchlings that are being released there? Well, in in the distant past, there have been other attempts to uh, incubate eggs and bolster populations, and there's never been a huge amount of success. The incubation process is relatively straightforward. Um, I guess where the problem is is when when the chicks are released, that's where previous attempts have broken down to some extent. So we've been trying to use this process to try and work out the best way to use incubation as one of the tools um, for improving population. So yeah, I guess the incubation is just another string to the bow and um, we're pretty confident with what we've seen so far that it is going to make uh, some sort of difference. And I guess you've got to set that in the context of the average survivor survival rate of um, chicks sort of up to 12 months of age in the wild is, you know, very low, very low. We're talking numbers like 2 to 5%. So, yeah, the only way is up. And what have you seen in, in recent months with the, the track cameras and whatnot? Have you been seeing some of those birds that you have released uh, popping up there? Yeah, so within within the enclosure, we've we've got some camera traps set up through through that area. It's um it's a very nice um, area of remnant mallee habitat. So we've had six or eight uh, chicks pop up on the cameras, and they're from the 2021-22 season that we collected eggs and. Uh, just in the last few weeks, we've um, we've picked up one very healthy-looking bird um, drinking at a water trough. Um, so it's very exciting for um, all of us involved in the in the project um, to see something like that. You know, to see see a bird getting through well, what is um, you know probably 18 months now, I guess nearly. Um, so that tells us that we're on the right track, or we're heading down the right track anyway. Conservationist Mal Carnegie speaking there with Hamish Cole about the Mallee fowl, which is an endangered bird that uh, West Wyalong locals have been working to save. As Mal mentioned there, a huge part of the group's success has been the involvement of farmers. Local producer Rodney Guest has been integral to uh, creating a 60-hectare feral-free enclosure for the chicks to be released into. Probably for 20 years we've been doing the the fox control and cat control and that's sort of we've got our numbers down the LLS got some funds for us and we've got a feral proof area with other areas of Mallee within the exclusion boundary fence which is not feral proof and the aim of that was just to get chicks and be able to release them you know within 12 hours of hatching into an area where they won't be picked on by any cats or foxes and the result of all this this labour, the last three years you've been doing the egg collection and the incubation, what has that experience been like? Look, we're, we're over the moon. Like We had other government agencies and zoos involved in the 90s incubating and releasing chicks, and the longest surviving chick I think there was 12 months old. They didn't have a great deal of success, but we've just put a bit of farmer logic to the whole process of the incubation and releasing. and. We're really excited. We've been picking up birds which are from the previous season, as well as 
birds from this season. So, you know, we're really over the moon. So, yeah, we've cleared land and, you know, not that it's our fault for clearing it. It sort of all started back in the 30s where you had to clear your land. And, you know, I just don't like seeing species becoming extinct. And that's what's happening with Mallee fowl. And you know, just less and less of them every year. And it's just to, to do our little bit, put our little mark on the earth. West Wyalong farmer Rodney Guest speaking with Hamish Cole about his involvement in the Mallee Fowl Egg Collection Project that's seen uh, the population increase in recent years. It's a quarter to one. ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour. On ABC Radio, New South Wales. Hello, I'm Stephanie Smell. Join me for The World Today. Israel's retaliation expands in Gaza amid Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's warnings it will be a long and difficult war. Free trade talks between Australia and the European Union collapse, both sides walking away after years of trying. And Wallabies coach Eddie Jones to depart. So what's next for Rugby Australia? Those stories and more coming up on The World Today. And on the country hour, it's 14 minutes to one. Well, a few years ago, it seemed the plant-based meat industry was booming. New products were constantly appearing on the supermarket shelves. And in the US, Beyond Meat had debuted on the stock exchange and at one stage had a share price of over $230 US. Its share price now is just $5. And overall, the industry is struggling. Sales are down. Some companies are merging. Some companies have disappeared altogether. Matt Brand spoke to food futurist Tony Hunter for his views on what's going wrong and he said a lot of companies were struggling with the taste. Well, I think the main thing we're looking at there, Matt, is that you know, fundamentally a lot of the products, many of them actually don't taste good. And as any large food company knows, if your products don't taste good, the long-term future of your product is in doubt. It's as simple as that. I think it's as simple as that. I think that there's been a lot of um, hype around. My view is that for a product to be successful, I like to use the acronym TECH, T-E-C-H. First of all, it has to be tasty. Then it has to be easy to use and easy to find. Then it has to be cheap. And then it has to be healthy for the people and for the planet. If you get all of those, you've got a successful product and each one is a hurdle. If you don't get over the tasty hurdle, you're not going to have a long-term future. Tony, we've got some consumer data here from the US and it's clear that sales are down. Is it a similar story right around the globe, though? I think if we try and judge the entire plant-based sector and indeed the alternative protein sector on the basis of one company which everybody concentrates on, which is Beyond Meat, then we're missing the whole picture. Yes, there are problems in the US. There are problems even in the UK. But Germany is going gangbusters, and so are other countries in Europe. So it's not a one-size-fits-all of what's happening in plant-based products. And we're seeing a lot of the supermarkets in Europe, like the Little Chain, they're driving plant-based product prices down and quality up. So does the plant-based meat industry have a future, Tony? Absolutely, and I think the key reason, Matt, these products have a future is that what we have is... an undoubted fact we're going to have 10 billion people on the planet by 2050 and a growing middle class 
and we have this amount of protein that can be sustainably produced within planetary boundaries by animal agriculture, and we have the amount of protein we need. And animal agriculture simply can't scale to meet that entire demand without deforesting the planet, which I would suggest is not going to end well. So we need other protein products to fill that gap. And I think that's what it's about, the gap. The hype about destroying animal agriculture is not realistic. That's not going to happen. And I think that's, and to me, is really the nub of the entire issue with plant-based products. Food futurist Tony Hunter talking there to Matt Brand about the problems with plant-based meat. The industry uh, at the moment really struggling. It's 10 minutes to one on the New South Wales Country Hour. Let's go back to the story we were talking about earlier on about some reaction to the EU, the dairy industry. They've thrown its support behind the federal government walking away from those free trade negotiations. Trade Minister Don Farrell has told the EU negotiators the talks scheduled would not go ahead because the deal hadn't progressed. Australian Dairy Farmers President Rick Gladigau says that uh, free tra- fair trade rather has to come, a- come ahead of free trade. It's actually been a good result for dairy at this stage, but we're certainly aware that uh, the negotiations will, will continue. They're not going to throw the whole lot away, just that this could take a few years before we maybe ever get to uh, another position on it or, or what happens. So, But from the dairy industry, look, it's a, it's a good result for us. We can still keep using all those names. As you know, there was over 50, 50 names that were, were under fire. So um, as well as, um, yeah, I mean, we, the market access was also another issue. But Yeah, can you uh, go further into that? What was on the line for your industry? The, the names was one thing, but it was a whole lot more than that for dairy, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, market access is another one. We've always been saying we want like for like. Uh, you know, when we're pretty open to say, as we've said multiple times, you know, 70,000 tonnes of EU products coming in here already. Uh, we sent them 400 last year. Uh, and they still wanted to cry poverty over that one So and, and not allow us better access into the EU. So, but, um, so, and when you consider, you know, cheese, they bring in about 28,000 tonnes of cheese and, and uh, after the first 11,000, just over 11,000 tonnes, then they pay a tariff on it, which is fairly significant. Um, but they're still quite happy to do it. So so this would have actually opened the gates to them of, of being able to send even more wheat. As I, I, as I would say, we would be flooded with EU product. Australian Dairy Farmers President Rick Gladigau speaking there to Warwick Long about uh, the announcement that the federal government walking away from the free trade negotiations with the European Union and the dairy industry uh, saying that fair trade has to come ahead of free trade. So they're not unhappy about that outcome. Let's go to markets. First up to Bendigo Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. Weight and quality influence prices in a slightly bigger yarding of 26,500 lambs at Bendigo today. Heavy lambs remain scarce and the 30 kilo plus suckers sold from 160 to a top of $175. The 26 to 30 kilos from 130 to 164. All these lead lambs still up around 520 to 530 cents a kilo cost averages. Where the market softened was on the trades, which came off 5 to 10, although the freshest types from the south still sold okay, which created a price spread of 430 to 520 cents a kilo based around quality. 
The heavy trades, 24 to 26 kilos, 114 to 138, and the 22 to 24 kilos, 100 to $121 for a shandy average of around 480 cents a kilo across these lambs. What was interesting today was more processor support for light and MK style lambs, and these were 5 to $10 dearer. The 16 to 18 kilo lambs, 62 to $86, and the smaller 12 to 16 kilos, 45 to $69. Process is dominated with not many lambs going back to the paddock at all today. Light merino suckers, 66 to $86. 6,000 sheep still to be sold. Jenny Kelly for MLA. Two Corowa sheep and lambs. Good afternoon. Numbers increased for a total of 9,500 lambs and 4,300 sheep. The quality was mixed with most regular buyers in attendance. The market sold to mixed trends. New season medium and heavy trade lambs were 2 to $5 softer, medium trade 88 to 118 and heavy trade from 106 to 139. Heavy lambs gained $3, selling from $140 to $150. Extra heavy export types over 30 kilos sold from $142 to $155. Light lambs were up to $8 dearer, selling from $51 to $87. Old lambs were dearer across all weights. Heavy trade, $4 to $11 stronger, $104 to $140. And heavy lambs up to $15 dearer, $130 to $142. Hoggets lifted in prices, heavy crossbred types gained $4, $68 to $90. Strong competition across the mutton run drove prices up $3 to $5. Heavy crossbred ewes, $28 to $40. Heavy merino ewes, $31 to $54. And medium sheep sold from $23 to $34. I'm Caroline Ronald for MLA at Corowa. To Dubbo Sheep and Lambs. Numbers remain similar for a yarding of 13,800 lambs. It was a plain equality yarding with large numbers of merino lambs and hoggets, along with some large consignments of lightweight exotic lambs. The rod pins are well finished trade weight lambs, along with a few pins of heavyweights, though there were no extreme heavyweights compared to the previous sale. Most of the usual buyers were operating in a close to firm market. Trade weight new season lambs were firm to $4 cheaper, selling from 56 to 115, to average between 450 and $4.95 cents a kilogram. Trade weight old lambs were three cheaper, selling from 55 to 117. Heavyweight lambs were three to six cheaper, with the old lambs over 24 kilograms, selling from 112 to 140, to average 465 cents. Heavyweight new season lambs sold to 126. Merino lambs were three dollars cheaper, with trade weights selling from 40 to 78. Lambs to the restockers were cheaper, selling from 25 to 50. Hoggets were up to 20 dollars cheaper, selling to 70 dollars. We have the balance of the lambs and 6,200 mutton still to be sold. This is David Monk reporting from Dubbo. Let's go to Wagga Cattle now. Good afternoon. 3,780 cattle sold to a bigger group of buyers with a few more feeder orders operating. Quality was quite good with a fair percentage of the stock over 400 kilos. Very few lighter weight cattle offered this week. Demand has been solid with the exception of feeder steers which have fallen back 8 to 14 cents. Feeder heifers medium weight have bounced 10 cents in isolated sales. Trade steers were firm, 210 to 240. Feeder steers medium weight, 180 to 225. Trade heifers, 160 to 217. Feeder heifers medium weight, 118 to 212. Heavy kill steers, 202 to 247. Heavy heifers with shape, $2 to 238. Bullocks, $2 to 240. And heavy cows, 178 to 198. While the middle run sold at 135 to 183. I'm Leanne Dax for MLA. To Forbes Cattle. 
Numbers lifted this sale with agency earning 1,146 head. Quality was similar to previous sales with some good lines of well-bred cattle offered along with the plainer types. There was extra buyers present and competing in a more buoyant market. Yearling steers to feed sold from 175 to 227 cents a kilo. The better finished types to processors received from 180 to 215. The heifer portion lifted 10 cents with processors paying from 130 to 213, while those to feed received from 160 to 195. Heavy steers and bullocks sold from 170 to 215, while grown heifers reached 199. Cows held steady with heavy two score from 132 to 155, three and four score from 152 to 190 cents a kilo. This has been Crystal Ridley at Forbes from LA. And Tamworth cattle. Good afternoon. Numbers steady at 1800. Large supplies of young cattle, a fair supply of cows, grand steers and heifers. A fair to good quality penning featuring some very well-bred lines. All the usual buyers were in attendance. Little bit quality-related change for yearling steers to restock and feed. Lightweight sea mosses 152 to 246 cents with the medium and heavyweights 180 to 236 and 190 to 225 cents respectively. Trade reached 250 cents. Firm to deer trends for the yearling heifers, some quality related improvements with lightweights 125 to 230, medium weights to 220 kilos, with the heavyweights over 400 kilos, 155 to 200 cents. Heavy ground steers to process 165 to 220 were a shade dearer, while the cow market saw a slightly dearer trend with medium weight 2 and 3 scores 110 to 155, the heavy 3 and 4 scores 151 to 189 cents a kilo. James Armitage for MLA in Tamworth. And that's the market information for today. And before we go, let's uh, give you some uh, latest in the bushfire information. ABC Radio Emergency Information. Because a watch and act warning has just been issued for a new fire in the Tenterfield area at Ogilvie Drive, Tabulum. Firefighters assisted by aircraft are on the scene of the fire burning in the vicinity of Ogilvie Drive, Tabulum, 50 kilometres uh, uh, east of Tenterfield, the fire is burning in a westerly direction towards isolated properties in the vicinity of uh, Ogilvy Drive. Residents uh, in the vicinity of Ogilvy Drive should prepare now, according to the RFS, an actual bushfire survival plan. Leaving early, they say, is your safest option. And uh, also a reminder to keep listening to ABC Local Radio for the next update. So just uh, re- reiterating that point, a watch and act warning has been issued for a new fire in the Tenterfield area at Ogilvy Drive Tabulum. Firefighters assisted by aircraft are on the scene uh, and residents in the vicinity of Ogilvy Drive should prepare now. And as I said before, keep listening to uh, ABC Local Radio for the latest information. You're listening to The Country Hour. I'll be back tomorrow between 12 and 1, but stay listening for the latest information on ABC Local Radio this afternoon. We're heading up to news time. You're listening to The Country Hour, and as I said, uh, we'll be back between uh, 12 and 1 tomorrow, and also a reminder to uh, listen to the ABC Country Hour on the Listen app. It's one o'clock.